What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 31 of the My Parents Office podcast. Unfortunately, we do not have a Brett's question today. Uh, the inclement weather prohibited us pretty much from taping uh, the beginning of this week. So, and then I'm a little bit under the weather. I think I'm trying to pass a kidney stone, honestly. If not, I don't know what it is, but hopefully by the time you guys hear this, I'll be back up on my feet and feeling a lot better. But so today, because we don't have a Brett's question and we weren't really able to tape with each other, um, we've got a two for one interview. First one is former sidekick of Kirk Minahan on the Kirk Minahan show, host of the Blind Mike Project, Blind Mike Geary. Uh, that was an awesome interview. Had a lot of fun doing that with him, uh, a guy I listen to a lot. So go check out his Patreon at Blind Mike Project. Um, and then on the second half of the show, we have on Connecticut native and Arkansas State Center, Ethan Miner. That was a really cool interview, being able to talk to him about playing uh, during COVID times, getting his first start, and how he's dealing with COVID for spring ball. So here's the Blind Mike interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Joining us now, we have on the host of the Blind Mike Project, Blind Mike Geary. Mike, how you doing? Oh, what an honor to be here. What's going on, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So how has the, I know you just started up the Patreon recently, um, just started like rolling out content. How has that been going? It's been fun. It's nice to have fun doing this again. I was in a state of mind where I uh, was not having fun. I was in my own head for a long time and uh, it's back to being fun again, which is, which is good. I don't know how long that's going to last, but we'll see. So what's your goal with the, with the Patreon? Um, do you eventually want to have your pretty much build up an audience or be back at say another, maybe back with Kirk at Barstool or when he does a subscription service, uh, somewhat be a part of that? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I'm still on uh, KMS once a week. That's the right. plan as of now. Um, and I was on uh, yesterday and had a mm -hmm. lot of fun. So I'm glad I'm still doing that. Uh, I don't know what my goal with the Patreon is. I've been telling everyone not to subscribe. Don't, don't subscribe because I don't know what my goal with it is yet. Um, for now, my goal is pretty much just uh, talking about what I want to talk about and seeing A, if I, if I still enjoy doing that and uh, B, if there's an audience for it. So if you want to check it out, come along. But, uh, you know, if you're not into the shit that I'm into, a stand-up and TV and that sort of thing, then uh, it's probably not for you. So you had on recently, it's the creator of Entourage, correct? Uh, Doug Allen, yeah. How did that interview go? I thought it was great. Uh, he's a very honest guy. Um, Entourage is a show that, uh, how old are you? I'm 19. So you're probably even a little young for Entourage. Did you watch it or no? I've seen a few episodes. I have. I want to watch the whole series, but I haven't. Yeah. So you're. I mean, you're even a little young. And honestly, for you, like I don't know you personally at all, but mm -hmm. I'm guessing like your uh, age demo would probably watch that and be horribly offended. Even if you're a guy that doesn't get offended, right. just naturally, like I'll watch it now and be like, "Holy shit!" Like there's some stuff in there that they would never get away with now. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, it was critically acclaimed. It was nominated for Emmys and all that sh sort of shit. And if you were a guy in high school or college when I was, then you fucking loved Entourage. It was the best show. It was the first show I was really into. Um, and now it's viewed as a show for douchebags and uh, misogynists. And uh, I did that kind of started. I remember when uh, uh, I remember Tina Fey 
making a lot of entourage jokes, calling them douchebags and stuff like that. And uh, Mindy Kaling, I think, did. Um, and you started hearing more and more of that. Um, and then just over time, now it's a show for fucking sexists and rapists, apparently. Yeah, so there's like a stigma around it now versus when it first came out, it was just fun for people, like you said, in college, high school. Yeah, it was cool. College. It was like you watch and say like, oh, you know, uh, like Vinny Chase, the main character, is a guy that fucked a lot of girls. And the idea that that's unrealistic, that a handsome actor would have sex with a lot of attractive women, uh, it just seems you're living in a fantasy land if you don't think that happened. And right. in that show, it was never an aggressive thing. I mean, like the way they talked would be considered very aggressive now or toxic, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it was not, these were not portrayed as bad guys in the show. Like they were all, they were kind of the good guys, um, especially in Hollywood where they, they were kind of going against uh, what most of Hollywood was perceived as outside of, you know, just fucking and boozing all the time. Yeah. But um, now, well, the reason I went on that rant is that uh, Doug Ellen is kind of a rare guy that, doesn't apologize like most most guys in his position would try and save their ass by saying you know i was i was a different guy then and i've evolved and well, yeah, uh, all this type of shit but he, age, they'd be wanting to cut like you said they want to cover their ass they don't want to yeah associated with something like that and i don't even i don't i used to like rail against people that did that but i don't even blame them now because it's just like you're saving your ass i guess but Doug Ellen and Doug Ellen should probably do that for his own sake and say, ah, you know, I was a different guy back then. But to his credit, he says, no, fuck you. It was a great way. It was considered a great show at the time. I'm still proud of it. And uh, I think it stands on its its own merits. Yeah. I mean, you have to kind of applaud that he stood by it, st- uh, stuck to his guns and yeah. not uh, apologize uh, pretty much in today's climate too. Yeah. But it was in general, it was cool to talk to him. You know, it's, I mean, not on this level, but in a way, it's almost like talking to like Larry David for me or something like mm. Seinfeld's one of my favorite shows ever. And Entourage isn't quite that level, but it's up there. So it was pretty cool to talk to the guy that created it. Do you ever think Larry David will come on with you? <laughs> yes, he's next, that. actually. Yeah, no, that's booked for uh, next week. No, <laughs> I don't, I, that, that's unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever get the chance. Um, so do you have any more guests lined up, uh, ones you're excited about? Um, not ex- a sort of, like I got a okay. few comedians that'll do it, but we don't have a date lined, lined up yet. Okay. Um, I've got a guy coming on to talk, uh, crypto and stocks and shit this week, but it's no one you would necessarily know unless you're following that stuff very closely. Um, so nothing really, I'm not a great interviewer. If you listen to uh KMS, you saw, you, you, you saw great examples of that. Well, it's like um, so I don't know how many interviews I'll do, but. Yeah, I mean, be, I mean, definitely on KMS because I'm a huge fan of the show. Yeah, the first couple of interviews you were on, it just felt like you got steamrolled, and that's not even your fault. It's when Kirk gets into a groove and he's talking to a guest, it's very tough. I could imagine uh, to try to get a question in, um, especially like the Dice interview, the McAfee interview. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Tough. I'll stand by the McAfee interview. I think cool. I asked the right questions in that one. When I asked him if he he should have answered whether or not he likes to be shit on. That just seems like a logical question. I don't know why he got so pissy about that. Well, I think he would have answered it if his wife wasn't there. Yeah. Um, or been a little more open. open. Yeah. Actually, yeah, the McAfee interview is a poor example because you had went in, you knew you were going to ask that question. Kirk wanted somebody to ask that question. So I think that was, that was definitely a funny one. But yeah, with his wife. Underrated. I was saying, I was actually saying to Steve the other day that I wish that happened 
uh, like a year into the podcast, maybe, yeah. because that's an underrated. That guy was a fucking nut, and yeah. uh, just a very strange guy. And I feel like that was kind of an underrated interview. And he got brought up on today's episode. He's back in prison or in prison in Spain, I guess Steve was saying. Yeah. Is, yeah. He, I don't even, how did you guys end up getting him on the show or like why? Do you uh, know? You'd have to ask Steve that. I'm not sure exactly well, why he, I mean, he was technically running for president. So I think it might've been under the guise of that. Okay. Um, but I mean, I think just cause he's an interesting guy, I assume that was the logic behind it. Um, and I saw him doing a few other podcasts after that. So I think maybe he wanted, I don't remember if he was promoting something or what the deal was. Might've been promoting his run for president. I don't fucking remember, but he was a, he was a, an odd guy. And I think it's always interesting to talk to guys like that. So I imagine that's why they wanted him on. So what's it been like working with a guy like Kirk, who's very, because you came in, they were kind of, it seemed like they were testing different people out um, at the beginning of the show. Like they had Sue O'Connell in your first day um mhb came in for a, f- a day um when you figured out that you were going to kind of be the guy that was pretty much kirk's permanent sidekick what was that like um start getting into that role it was cool i mean that, I, i've said a million times that's the type of radio show podcast whatever um that i've always wanted to do and that i grew up listening to and everything um and then at a certain point i got uh, in my own head about it and very nervous about everything and self-conscious mm-hmm. about everything. And uh, that's where you started to see me fuck up a lot, but you know, it was a, it, it's an awesome experience and I couldn't have asked for any more. Like they did all they could for me. What I did with that opportunity is on me, but uh, it was pretty fucking awesome, honestly, you know, and, they, and that's something that I got to remind myself sometimes is like, you know, sure. I may be a talentless asshole, but it's, I, I got a few pretty cool opportunities, which has been nice. Um, so I think my favorite thing, I, I loved you on the show. I still like you on the show. Um, my favorite was when you'd go to a lot of events and you were pretty much like the MGM Red Sox weekend was probably my favorite episode of the show. Hearing the audio of you screaming at Sam Kennedy <laughs> when you went to truck day, when you got in Rich Keefe's face at, uh, the casino in Everett, um, what's your mindset? I know it's probably, you're just going in trying to make as big a commotion as possible. But when you're getting ready to do something like that, what's your whole mindset? Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's those I found kind of easy once I was in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's easy to start screaming in the middle of MGM and get dragged out. Yeah. Um, what's actually tougher for me, which most people wouldn't even think about, is just getting around there. Like, um, and that's, that's kind of contributed to some of my mental shit where like going to those events, if it's a, especially if it's a place I've never been before, um, because of my eyesight started to become very difficult. And then, uh, because it got to a point where it was so difficult for me that I got very, I would get very nervous and anxious. Like I got to a point where I didn't, I was afraid to leave the house for a while. Um, which is why, you know, I've started using like a cane and shit like that. Um, so that, that's more what was actually like nerve wracking for me. Just making an asshole out of myself. I, I do every day. So I don't mind that as much. So you did college radio, um, at Westfield state. Ah, oh, yes. Dirty Mike uh, and the boys. Yeah. Dirty Mike and the boys. Legendary stuff. <laughs> um, when you were getting into radio, I know you talk about O and A a lot. Were they, were they probably your biggest inspiration to get into media and get into radio? 
Oh, for sure. Um, well, you know, I don't know. Cause I, growing up, I listened to more sports talk radio and that's always what I wanted to do okay. uh, for a long time. Yeah. I listened to, I, as much as I hate him now, I listened to EI every day. Um, I listened to, uh, Mike, the mad dog a lot. And I was, I grew up in Western mass. So for a while we only had like Jim Rome and, uh, uh, Fox sports, right. So like JT, the brick. Yep. And like now I would make fun of those guys. But uh, at the time when I was a kid, I fucking loved them. I was like, oh, this is great because I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, so on, so those were kind of my influences in a weird way. But uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, and I like I mean, people point out all the time that I have, have almost copied them with a lot of shit. Um, so which I'm not trying to do. It's just kind of natural, I guess. But uh, yeah, oh, and would definitely be my biggest influences because I listened to them. Uh, every night as I was going to sleep, I, I still listen to uh, old ONA clips sometimes. So def- definitely, you definitely see a resemblance, I guess, in some of the shit that I say. So would you say like sports talk was got what got you into radio and then yeah. ONA is kind of what changed your mindset of what you wanted to do with radio and podcasting and media? Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, I guess, because I was uh, very into sports when I was a kid. And like sports talk radio. And then when I heard uh, not just ONA, but a, a lot of the comedians that I like as well, my interest just shifted towards that. And then for a while, I liked both. I was like, oh, I'll talk sport. I, I would like to talk sports uh, and comedy and all this shit. And then eventually, I kind of just started to drift away from sports as I got older. Honestly, for me, it wasn't even that I lost interest in sports themselves. It was just like the way I rooted for sports when I was a kid. Then I became older than most of the athletes. Like, there was a year where I was older than 90% of the players in the Red Sox. So gotcha. it just got to me like now I'm rooting for children, it felt like. Um, so that felt a little weird. And then that started to dampen my uh, fandom, I guess. And that's when I just started leaning more towards, as far as my interests, leaning more towards like comedy and shit. Do you think that happens a lot with people as they get older? Like their love for sports kind of fades away because of the uh, age gap? Um, especially like adults, it's, I feel like it's tough to root for college football if you're an adult. I mean, right now I love college football. I love college sports. Uh, do you think that's what happens with a lot of people is the older they get, the more disinterested they get? Um, yeah. Unless you're a gambler, like mm-hmm. gambling will definitely keep you interested. Um, and even now, like if I do, you know, and I, I have not watched a ton of football this season. Yeah. Um, the least in a long time. Some of that's because the Patriots suck this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it just because it feels like a weird year in general. But if I'm in some sort of uh, playoff pool for money, then I'll be interested again. Like it's just natural. Uh, but I mean, I guess that is just in some people. I feel like it's not that way as much now. But like when I was a kid and, you know, the Red Sox won the World Series, people were sobbing, you know, like adults, yeah. grown men sobbed at that. So. Um, some people I think it's just in naturally like you know if your father was like that then you're like that or whatever but yeah I think the average person definitely I I don't I don't know if there's anyone that's as interested in sports as they were when they were 12 years old you know gotcha so you had you had the podcast at EEI correct uh yeah yeah um when you would have Kirk on what was that like because I can imagine working in the same building as him and then you have you obviously work with him on the Kirk Minahan show. Did you ever think that would be a possibility to work with him on his own show? Um, I mean, I hoped 
for sure. I mean, I, I was hoping that was the goal and that's what I, yeah. I angled for a lot. Um, you know, I don't know if I actually thought it would happen, but it was definitely a, a dream of mine, I guess you would say. But I mean, other than that, I never worked with him at Entercom. I interviewed him once, which was really mm-hmm. cool. And but uh, other than that, like I see him in the hallways very rarely. And that was pretty much it. Gotcha. Um, so with you, when you interned at Barstool, was that right out of college or were you in college still? Right out of college. I left uh, left college and moved to Boston without a place to stay for the internship. Like the first month of my internship, I was sleeping on my buddy's couch in Brighton. Okay. Um, doing that. So Portnoy always talks Milton Tough. Would you consider yourself Milton Tough? Because you were in the Milton I, I, No, I don't know. <laughs> I have no real association with like, you know. No, I wouldn't. No, I, 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 I was not. I was there for a time and it was cool, but I am yeah. not, uh, they certainly wouldn't associate me with that sort of, uh, <laughs> that sort of elite status, I guess, in right. barstool history. So no, I wouldn't really, unfortunately. When you hear the story, like, cause, uh, I didn't really understand why Portnoy didn't like you. And I guess listening to the show, I mean, he said, I guess a lot of guys say it stems from when you tried to have other guys on your podcast. Do you think that's kind of ridiculous? that he gets so mad about that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I talked about it on my podcast today, um, but I don't know. I don't think a lot about it. I, I, I got what I wanted to say out about him, and now I'm kind of over it. Uh, he was good to me for a time, and then I think he was not so good to me after that, and that's all. I'm kind of done. Uh, I, don't, I don't waste a lot of time thinking about it anymore. Like, I was very angry about it for a while, but now it's like, you know, I'm I'm nothing in his life and he's nothing in mine. And that's probably how it should stay, you know. Gotcha. Control what you can control. Yeah. Um, Mike, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I really do. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I hope the Patreon goes really well. Um, where can everybody find you on social media um, and the Patreon? Blind Mike underscore on Twitter. Blind Mike Geary on Instagram and uh, Patreon.com slash Blind Mike. It was great talking to Blind Mike. Uh, Definitely hope I can get him back on in the future. Uh, Love listening to him. So, But now we've got the Ethan Miner interview. Ethan was a football player at Kingswood Oxford, graduated, and now he's the starting center at Arkansas State. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview uh, as much as I did. Thanks. Now joining the show is Connecticut native and Arkansas State center, Ethan Miner. Ethan, how you doing? Doing pretty good. What about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, happy that you could uh, take some time out of your meal to uh, join us. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, actually just got some Chick-fil-A, but I, I didn't realize that. Well, I, I forgot that I'm an hour behind you guys. So, so you're but, back on campus right now? Yeah, I've been back since uh, January 13th. Yeah, 13th. Okay, so what have you guys been doing uh, activity-wise? Well, we got an entire uh, – our old coaching staff got fired. Well, our head coach, Blake Anderson, decided that he was going to leave. So pretty much everyone didn't get fired, but that's just how that goes. Like everybody leaves because the, the new head coach just brings in their own guys. But So now we've been doing this – 
everything's new, but we've just been doing lifts, uh, lifts, runs, and then the, because of COVID, the coaches can't go out on recruiting. Okay. So now we, we have like, uh, we just had it today. It was uh, like a 30 minute kind of like no pads, no football practice. Kind of like, like a walkthrough. Yeah, yeah. It's within the NCAA's rules. So you, you can't even use a football, but. So how has that been working for you? Because I know you play center. How, I mean, that, that's pretty yeah, much I, impossible for, for you to work like that. I don't, I mean, I didn't realize, especially going from uh, like I was playing garden, garden tackle in high school. And then I came here and they moved me to center, but like I was practicing snaps before my first fall camp and I didn't realize like how like snapping the ball and like taking a step on air is completely different against when you have that somebody right in front of you because like you gotta get that ball out make sure it's getting back to the quarterback accurately and you gotta block a 300 pound nose guard in front of you so that was definitely a difficult transition but I mean now I mean they, they had a s- snapping uh, plastic cones just to have the <laughs> movement with the footwork. So, I mean, I, gu- I guess it's better than nothing. Uh, I don't now, know. You, you'd snap. You use the dead ball technique, right, where you grip the top of the ball? Yeah, because uh, I – since I never played center, my snaps weren't very – good to start and then uh coming into this season i started having like perfect snaps like conventionally snapping then mm-hmm. week one we were going to play memphis and my online coach told me like you like you got to be ready to play because we, we actually have uh a senior center who had started for four years but he's been in and out of injuries and he just, I mean, he hasn't been as productive as he's been. So I, we were going to split some time, but then I like out of nowhere, like a couple days before we were supposed to play to Memphis, my snaps just started going like everywhere. Like they were, okay. they weren't, they weren't even catchable. So my line coach told me about the dead ball snap. And so that's what I, I started doing my first game. I actually had to start was uh, Kansas State because the other center got COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just what I feel like I don't even have to think when I do it. Kind of just toss it back and then uh, it's just what works for me. And I, I know a lot of a lot of people that have switched like me from further out on the line use a dead ball because it's easier to – work with and conventionally snapping yeah definitely I I mean I play center so I do normal I've been playing that my whole life so it just feels normal but yeah you see when a lot of guys go from either tackle or guard or yeah from tackle or guard into playing center they use the dead ball and I know I think every center I've played with and myself you hit like a certain point of the year you get it doesn't matter when during the season you'll get yips and it's your snaps are all over the place for at least a week and you're kind of get like a little, you get a mental kind of breakdown from it because you're 
freaking out. You're like, what have I just done? And it's just a simple either like turn of the wrist, yeah, torque of your elbow. It's such something, it's something so small that if you feel so you're just so confused by like, why is this happening? Why are these six feet over their head or hitting my quarterback in the ankles? Yeah, for sure. That's, that's actually like really funny that he said that. Cause like, I remember when it happened, like the first thing they start doing is they're like, what do I have to fix? Like, maybe I'm moving this way too much. Maybe I just gotta not throw back as hard. And then when you like, you can't fix it. And you start like thinking in your head now, before you go to snap, you're like, I hope this isn't a bad snap. I hope this isn't a bad snap. And like, luckily, I never had to go into a game. I don't. I don't know. Maybe because of Kansas State, for somehow I had no bad snaps at Kansas State. So now, whenever I went in the games, it wasn't even. It was more of like just practice. That mm-hmm. I feel like in practice, like you have time to think yep. about stuff going wrong in the game. It's either like you're in the moment thinking about things that you need to be thinking about or you're just going to get beat anyways. So you don't, you don't really have time to think about it in the game. And when you're messing up your snaps too, that's a big thing. You, your blocking takes a hit from it because your immediate thought is, was that snap good? And you may, yeah. like the instinct is to turn and look like, didn't my quarterback catch that snap? Yeah. Like, where was that? And then, like you said, you've got a 300 pound nose guard. That's yeah. pretty quick. You have to block that guy too. So when your snaps kind of go to shit like that, it just, everything becomes out of sync. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that Kansas state game, I actually, we, me and my dad were watching that on TV and I saw uh, you snapping. I was like, I'm, pre- I'm like, that kid's from Connecticut. I'm like, I'm almost positive. I saw the 67. Uh, so how was that? whole experience going into that game and starting like your very first collegiate start. Um, I believe Kansas state was ranked at the time too. Yeah. I, I think they were, I want to say they were like 20th maybe. I, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they were ranked also, but I mean, I don't know. It's like, I felt more nervous going into Memphis like not knowing if I was going to play than Kansas mm. State, but I don't know. I just like it, it was almost weird. I remember, like, I could still remember walking out to go for that first snap, and they were not, their stadium was not following COVID protocol at all. Like, there was fans. There was like, they, yep. they had, I mean, it was like pretty much like the end zones were the only empty spots. And then, like, each sideline just had, it didn't look like you're even in a pandemic. It was just normal seating. But I just remember walking out there and I had so much adrenaline. I remember I hit, snapped the ball, hit the the nose guard, and I like I literally I couldn't even feel me hitting him because of how much anxiety I had in like for some reason, that game, like the whole time, my my adrenaline just didn't wear off. I, I don't even know how I played that game because, like, the entire time, and it's like it's just kind of weird that like my adrenaline was going, like, and I I felt like I was in that like kind of 
not like panic mode, but like in that kind of fight mode. You just felt on. Like you felt like you were always going. Yeah. Like, like you said, you're not panicked, but you're on the ball. Like you're not stopping. Yeah. And, but like my mind like felt extremely calm. Like I didn't have problems. Maybe it was just because of how well we, we rehearsed it. That's what I'm assuming. Like how often and how much repetition we had that week before, but it was every, every look I saw, I knew what we were doing. And I don't know, even when we got down in the first half, it wasn't even a, like a question to me that like we could win that game. And I, I still can't believe that we ended up winning that. I was, it's kind of disappointing that our season went so bad after that game because we, it was a huge upset. And then we went on like a six game losing streak. So, well, it's also, but. you've got, I mean, that game was on TV. So, if like a lot of America was watching that game, especially they see a school from a very small conference playing yeah. against a power five school, and it's a power five school, a lot of people, probably aren't going to like or probably aren't fans of. So everybody automatically is going to ride with the underdog team playing a ranked opponent. And you guys went into Kansas State and you put it on them. So, I mean, that was probably part of the adrenaline too, that you guys yeah, probably that was the biggest game pretty much of the season going in and beating that team. Yeah, for sure. What was your – so I know you are from Wolcott. You played at Wolcott High. And you played at Kingswood Oxford. What yeah. was the transition like going from Wolcott to Kingswood Oxford? Because was that kind of in the middle of, or like the beginning of your junior season at Wolcott or your senior season? I, it was, I, I literally, we had our first game against uh, Aunt Sonia. <laughs> and I still remember I was like, I kind of knew that I was going to leave. Okay. And go to Kingswood and we were getting railed by Ansonia like every, every year. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, there's no point of even playing it. Like right now, like I'm just going to risk getting injured. And I kind of felt bad because obviously I didn't want to let my team down. I'm not a, not the kind of person that even if I'm hurting, like something's got to be like, guys. yeah, something's got to be broken or I got to be, dead on the field for me to come off and I remember I came off and my parents were like just tell your online coach that your leg hurts like don't don't go back in because we were losing really bad and it was just there was no point in being in and so I had to tell him and I was like uh, coach my leg my leg hurts and he was like like that he knew something was up but and then yeah I uh transferred Kingswood um, now, before you go on, what was your big thing with Hamden Hall? Because I followed that a little bit on Instagram at the time because I was following you then. Uh, so what was the whole thing with them? Because did you end up playing them while you were at Wolcott and at KO? Yeah, yeah. Well, they were actually in the uh, same conference. That, that was the only reason that I actually went to Kings of Oxford. Because, because I uh, – my coach at Wolcott scheduled them. So when we played them, their head coach is Joe Linta, who is Joe Flacco's agent. And okay. uh, like he's he's pretty well known. 
like, uh, but anyways, we finished the game. He comes up to me, shakes my hand. And he's like, I, I don't remember what he said word for word, but basically he's like, we, like, you need to get in contact with me. So end up talking to him on the phone and like with the way those schools work, if like you don't get a scholarship, you basically just yeah. get financial aid. Okay. So I was gonna have to pay like I, I don't remember how much more, but it was like a significant amount more than Kingswood. Mm-hmm. And they they have donors that can like help pay for kids there. If there's a way, like, there's a way they'll find money at the prep school. Yeah, yeah. If they really want to go there. Yeah, so, and I don't know, he just kind of like, like he, I don't know, like he wasn't really working with me. And then I remember I I was just like, I ended up just telling him that I was going to go to Kingswood Oxford. And then he started talking to my head coach at Kingswood Oxford, like saying stuff to him that like, Basically, I wasn't even going to be that good and blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, really? Now, yeah, now that I wasn't a part of his team, it was kind of just like talking down about me. So that's why when, <laughs> when we were going to play them, that like I had, had it out for him because I knew that he was basically talking shit about me. So, yeah. Had to, had to take it out there. Uh, but what was your whole experience like at Kingswood Oxford? Uh, especially like during, uh, probably in your senior year towards in the recruiting process. To yeah. Division one football. That was, I mean, that was the main reason that I transferred in the first place was because, I mean, Connecticut, Connecticut's not really a good spot for getting recruited for football. Yeah, uh, definitely public high school is definitely – not the place. I mean, yeah. prep schools are definitely on the. They're uh, they're up and coming, I think, with recruiting, but it's still not. Yeah, even sorry, uh, even at the. I, I wish I like. I kind of wish I went to like a Cheshire Academy or like what like uh, what's the other one? Petty, Cho Cho yeah Cho, because that's where it seemed like all the kids were getting big offers from, but. Every year they have kids going, like, at least they've got, like, 20 seniors, 13 yeah. or 14 going to Division One schools, and seven of them are going to Power Five schools. Yeah. How about – you ever see uh, those kids on a Supreme Athlete? Oh, yeah. So, I, what's your take on Supreme? Because uh, I'll ask you about that. I don't know. I, I know a lot of kids that – I uh, have gone through Supreme Athlete, but it seems like I I actually had a teammate who junior year was probably one of the worst receivers we had, right? And then he was – I think he was a freshman. So, I mean, I, I, not that I was going to expect – like, because I remember being a freshman, whatever. But he was just like – he was – not consistent. You couldn't throw anything to him. And then I leave and all of a sudden he's that Supreme athlete. And then like, all, like all the power five schools start talking to him. 
And I'm like, thinking to myself, we had a receiver, uh, Kyron Pettaway, who plays at Central Connecticut, but, mm. and his cousin's actually Isaiah Wright. He plays for the Redskins, yeah. or Washington football team. And so, uh, yeah, I, I forgot. I forgot. Um, so, yeah, and Kai was significantly – better than he was but he was a little bit shorter and he he somehow got like every power five he got michigan penn state uh, um boston college what's weird with supreme is it's like you're you're a product for the coach there and he's just trying to sell you to a different school because i had a friend that uh, was Really good, good defensive back, a little smaller. He's playing at Western New England now. He went there for like a month, and the guy asked him, like, uh, have you been all state? And he's like, uh, no. He's like, have you been all conference? He's like, uh, no. And this was in his junior year. He's a good player, but CCC is a tough conference in Connecticut. And he yeah. put him on the back burner. He's like, this isn't a Division One kid. And it's that that's kind of, I think, bigger than – a coach putting you in at a division one school is how he'll work with a guy that is a division three or a division two talent versus somebody that, you know, can play at Michigan or Penn state. Why yeah. do you spend as much time with them? You should be spending the same amount of time with a kid that can succeed and be an all conference player at a division three school. So that's where well, my issue somewhat lies with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know that guy personally, but, I don't know. Kind of sounds like a dick. Um, what's your thought on a breakout athlete down in Milford? Because so I follow Dom too, Dom Aiello. Yeah, he's blocked uh, by them. I've seen that. Yeah. I'd look at the post and I see him up in the comment section. So, what's your thought on that? Because you two are friends. You two have kind of the same mindset. I'm yeah. Uh, well, I actually have a friend from Kingswood. Uh, that would go there and he's like oh yeah come with me we'll go there together and i didn't know anything about them <laughs> so i was like oh, all right and he's like i was like how much is it and he, i think he was like it's like twenty dollars for your first session and uh i don't know if you don't like it he'll give you the twenty dollars back so we went there and this guy had like he's got all this like fancy equipment, yeah. Like almost like I, I don't even. Know. So he has us doing like just all this stuff that I'm like, how is this like actually going to going improving? To advance you pretty much. Yeah, improving my performance. But so I never went there again. <laughs> and me and Dom and his brother Joey. Yep. Dom and Joey went to St. Paul. Dom graduated, went to college at Middlebury, was supposed to play football, but like medically retired because of uh, concussions. Joey transferred to Kings of Oxford from St. Paul. I don't know what he's, I, I don't, he's kind of just been like in limbo with whether or not he wants to play. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. But, so we would always be like hanging out together and we would see these guys post and Dom would just like 
<laughs> he would rip on this guy. And apparently Dom made him so butthurt that he blocks him. But, and I mean, Dom's pretty, pretty knowledgeable too. So it's not like he was just like trying to make fun of the guy for his, I, I don't know what you'd yeah, call that. I follow him on Instagram and like a lot of the stuff he posts about, he knows what he's doing. It's not just like yeah. just some gym bro being like, this is bullshit. Like, what is this? He's yeah, yeah. actual, pretty much actual inaccuracies in what these exercises are and that he's raking kids over the coals with their money pretty much and not giving them what they need to be successful at the level. I think like people like that, like somehow the like lands like, uh, like one or two players that make a name from like, I think AJ Dillon, yeah. Went there from Boston College. I think he was like training there somehow for the combine. So I think that gained his business a lot of popularity. Because I mean, obviously, why would you think to yourself, why if Boston College running back is training here for the combine, why why would I not train here if I'm in high school? And yeah, you think immediately if an NFL caliber running back or an NFL caliber player just in general is training with somebody. This guy can get me to the NFL or get me to a power five school. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't always the case because AJ Dillon, I have a feeling uh, there's a lot of genetics there and he's a free after watching him play a season with green Bay. So, Um, but you're coming out of KO. What did your offers look like? What were your options? Um. My other – I had Arkansas State. My other FBS offer was Navy, and then I had some FCS offers. I had, like, Sacred Heart, Monmouth. Uh, I think that might have been it. I don't – Central Connecticut didn't offer me. There was a lot of schools that I was talking to. Like, I started talking to Tennessee a little bit. I went to a camp there. Mm-hmm. They actually drove from Connecticut to Tennessee. Apparently, I wasn't good enough. They didn't offer me. And then uh, Baylor started talking to me at, like, the end of my senior season. But I think I was kind of, like, one of their uh, – A backup like, kind of? Yeah, like, last resort kind of guys. Like, if so-and-so didn't sign early signing, then they would come over to me. But, I mean, at that point, it's way too risky to – not just commit here and yeah hope that Baylor somehow doesn't sign them but I don't no, know I didn't really think get that much a school like UConn didn't offer you because they my biggest issue because I'm like I'm from we're from Connecticut I'm a yeah root for UConn when they're playing yeah I don't like them going out of Connecticut and really out of the Northeast to yeah. recruit, like especially when Diaco was the head coach, he was going to Florida and Texas to bring guys in, and then guys are transferring right out. So there's a lot of needing to keep the talent you have in the state, which there is, in the state or in the region. So are you surprised they didn't kind of off? They didn't offer you. I mean, I I went to camp there, thought it was like my my best camp, but. Their old line coach, uh, I was doing a drill, 
and apparently I didn't finish through where he told me to finish. And I, it was an, it was an accident. I don't like, I don't have, well, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say, I don't think I have effort or attitude problems, but from what I've, yeah, I, I mean, I like, I know when a coach tells you to do something, you do it the way it's asked and you don't ask questions. So he, he's like, Martin, I told you to finish through that line. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, coach. I didn't, I didn't know. And then he comes over. He's like, he's like, because I talked to their offensive coordinator a little bit on the phone, but he comes over to me and he's like, you're, you're that kid that uh, Tennessee's talking to? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, you do that at their camp. They're not going to offer you. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I finished out the camp and they never offered me and then actually there's a Sunnington coach that was coaching at Wolcott that I still talk to and he he talked to their or that online coach mm-hmm. and apparently said that I was uh he told them about that drill and apparently he said I was cocky so I, I guess I'm cocky that's what is you see because my dad coaches high school football so he's been to a lot of the coaching clinics with the UConn coaches and yeah. they kind of preach we recruit character guys and my senior year we have a tight end that was a junior he's going to Yale now but he's got uh, like Oro he's yeah. he's he's like on paper and when you talk to him he's a high character kid you yeah. can't offer him because he wasn't a physical they needed him to they needed him to be a better blocker and he was our best blocking receiver on the field like he's going to stick his nose out anybody he's going to put his body on the line and like for you to not offer a kid like that that's from the state that probably would commit to you if you offer him like out of the gate it's kind of a shame and I that goes I think for a lot of Connecticut guys and that's why they lose homegrown talent to Penn State Pitt, yeah. Michigan, Boston College. And that's their biggest issue. They need to keep recruiting Connecticut and not preach. They need to practice what they preach pretty much. I, I, I would have – if they offered me uh, before Arkansas State did, I would have committed there, even knowing how bad they've been mm-hmm. Well, during that season. I mean, like, like early 2000s are good, but they haven't been – good in recent years but for some reason they think that they're a better program than they actually are and like you said they ignore a lot of talent that actually comes out of Connecticut so I, I actually had a friend well my dad's friend's son played at Choke okay. at Syracuse Syracuse Harvard and like get another FBS school from Connecticut UConn, he was getting recruited by UConn, never offered him, ended up uh, going to Harvard. So. It's just it's crazy. I mean, I, I, it is what it is. If they don't want to rebuild that program, they can keep picking up the power five leftovers. But So what was your deciding factor? in going to Arkansas state, was it when you went on the visit, you kind of figured like, this is where this is pretty much going to be my home for the next 
four years, five years? Yeah, I mean, I came down. This was the only official visit that I did with my family. My mom and my dad came with me, and uh, I don't know. I, I I was just down here, and I I mean, obviously every every program is going to look like perfect from the outside on your official visit they're gonna wine and dine you when you're down yeah yeah. they're gonna treat you really nice yeah everything's perfect and but i don't know maybe maybe it's just because i was gullible but it it seemed like uh well gullible is the wrong term i mean i still i don't don't regret coming here but they they seem to be truthful and what they said the program stood for so i mean when navy offered you did you visit yeah. there at all no i i uh i only got offered from them and here because i like it was my coming out of my junior year and me and my, my dad were like like we gotta figure out something because if you don't get a scholarship like you're gonna be going to like trade school or something like that like i wasn't gonna be able to go to college if i didn't get a scholarship so my dad actually just started sending out emails like somehow emails but pretty much every school and that's how i got offered from navy because they con they watched my film and then i contacted my coach that was kind of the end of that how do you think you would have fit in in a uh, triple option offense as a I mean, you're playing center, hand in the dirt, your four-point ball extended about two yards in front of you, and you're just downhill cut blocking the whole time. I mean, I I think I would I would have enjoyed that. I mean, I'm kind of like a lighter center. I only weigh like two seventy three right now. Okay, and I know they don't, they don't really have. Uh, bigger guys like a lot of schools do because of the offense they run but so so how do you feel like you fit in with the Arkansas State offense I mean do you think you're going to be the center for the next the pretty much the entirety of your career as a Red Wolf I mean that that's my plan the 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 old center decided to come back for some reason uh so obviously I'm gonna have to compete with him, but I don't know. It is what it is. I mean, I, I plan on taking the starting job. So now before I let you go, um yeah. I'm always curious, especially with centers and offensive linemen, do you have a weird like pregame routine? Uh like what's what's take me through you've got a noon game at home. What is kind of your routine when you hit the locker room or something you eat that you would, wouldn't normally eat during the week? Like, what's that all like? So, uh, I, I like, I started, uh, when, when we came back from COVID, we had to like hit the ground running because we had been out of the weight room for like three months. So every day training before the season was, brutal and like i was always i i have an uncle who's from crete it's a island in greece Mm -hmm. and he would always talk to me about the spartans 
and like and like uh, just like about the history of ancient Greece and whatever. But I I would always talk to the guys about the Spartans. So we'd always be quoting like three, the Blood 300 movie scenes in Leonidas. So before every game, I, I'd go into the locker room, I'd get dressed, uh, I'd get like a Gatorade and I'd have some pre-workout. And then you're a pre-workout before games type of guy. That's like a, like a little bit because I, if I have too much, my heart will be pounding and it, I feel like I'm exhausted. So, uh, what we do is pre pregame, you get dressed, go out to the field for QB center exchange, snap the ball for like five minutes, come back in, go back out for like 30 minutes, warm, warm up, go through drills. Then you come back in. When I would come back in for that third time, pull up my phone, go, go on YouTube, and I'd watch the Spartan battle scene versus the Persians, the first uh, battle scene. Yeah. So that's like my pregame thing. And that just gets you right into it. You're just ready to go after that scene ends. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, it's something about like actually like thinking about obviously how it's depicted in the movie I'm sure isn't accurate. I know there actually wasn't like a million Persians and only 300 Spartans. But... Yeah. It's just the like idea behind it about like I don't know. I, just something about the Spartans reminds me about offensive line like holding that line against those people but gets me going i like that i like that yeah. uh, thank you for coming on man i appreciate you uh making the time especially during uh you guys getting into spring ball uh modified spring ball but yeah well thanks uh, for having me on yeah definitely hopefully get you on uh maybe before the season starts uh in the fall definitely get yeah, you for sure talk about getting ready for the season man i appreciate it all right have a good one, Ethan. Thank yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the My Parents Office podcast. Stay tuned for more content we're going to be bringing to you guys. Thanks. Bye.